It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Today I'm going to rip the Minnesota Vikings GM, but I'm going to need some friends to join the party first. Hey, uh, this is Arif Hassan. I'm going to dismember Luke Braun like a Francisca Goya painting. And I'm Luke Brown. I do Locked On Vikings. I'm going to deserve it because I'm going to talk about running the ball, see if I can piss these two guys off. That's the crew today. It's the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with the Athletics' Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome in. I am Sam Ekstrom. Again, it's Locked On Vikings host Luke Braun and The Athletics' Arif Hassan. And we'll have our Thursday chat with Ron Johnson, who is practically giddy about the Gophers kicking off tonight against New Mexico State. We've got Quasi Adolfo Mensa, Kevin O'Connell press conference reaction out of the gate. A reminder to subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Leave a comment, leave a review. We would appreciate it. You'll get access not only to this show, but Ron Johnson's show, Superior Sports Talk, and your instant reaction postcasts after every game. Gentlemen. Hey, um, uh, quick question. Do we know what country yeah. Luke Inman is moving to? Um, it's <laughs> probably not in this time zone. That's probably why he is uh, so off the grid today. We know which country that, he's said we just don't know where he's actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever really knows. Um, we hope to hear from Luke Inman. We'll find out. We'll find out where in the world he is. Um, Arif, you and I just got back from Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell press conference. Luke, you watched the press conference. Um, Arif, I felt like there was a lot of, again, kind of subversion, like not really wanting to, you know, show the show the deck of cards did you take away anything meaningful boy they did not like kellen monroe man and that that seems to be a pretty clear takeaway uh any anytime a guy that's only ever said compliments in pressers or in camp about the players on his roster which totally understand um says it would not have been fair to him to have him play football is uh that's what that's a brutal one that is that is a rough way to be kind um so to be a backup that... in football not even probably <laughs> play to be qb2 <laughs> and yeah, not the, be a part the remote, of the plan the remote possibility that he enters a game would be doing him an unkindness yeah uh that that i think is is pretty clear uh we did not get much on like amir smith marset or armand watts why they decided to part ways with them or jesse davis it was all like armand watts had a fantastic camp he was a great player um, anyway, we cut him. It was it was a very difficult uh, camp uh, player evaluation to understand. So um, that was the takeaway that I got. Um, what about you? There were a lot of hard conversations that they told us how hard they were and how bad they felt about them. 
But they didn't give the rationale behind a lot of it. We don't know why they are trying to hoard millions of dollars of cap space. We don't know why Amir Smith-Marset was the one chosen to be waived and not someone more relevant. We don't know why they really like Ross Blacklock so much. And one of the things they did reveal, I felt like, was that he's not a starter and that Jonathan Bullard probably is. Um, so Jonathan Bullard, week mm -hmm. one starter, who would have projected that one in their uh, pre-training camp prognostications? Um, but I think that we need to get into more of these moves and, and kind of why, like what we think the rationale might be, Luke Braun, um, of sort of the five or so controversial personnel moves in the last 48 hours. Which one kind of raised your eyebrow the most? For me, it was cutting Amir Smith-Marset. Um, trading for Jalen Ragor reclamation project, um, the draft compensation is not as bad as it feels. Like, it feel, oh, fourth round pick, but it's not like it's a fourth round pick two years from now, and it's also conditional, so it could be a fifth round pick two years. So it's like and a seventh, like whatever. Um, I get it. It's a flyer on a guy. Maybe you think you can fix. Amir Smith Marset being cut to make room for him is kind of wild. Like, okay, he didn't win the punt return job. We knew that. But he still felt like the fourth best receiver in the room. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't, you guys saw more camp than me, but felt like he was he played well enough to be on a team, and we like didn't agree that Jalen Naylor had, and maybe it's just keeping their own guys over another one. But like on Lockdown Vikings, I spent a whole segment going like I don't know. Maybe it's blocking. Like I was really struggling to figure out what that one was, and I don't. I can't really explain it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's the stupidest move ever. Like I disagree with it, but I also acknowledge there's probably something I don't know, um, or something I didn't notice in the tape because I'm just a dude. Uh, but that's the one that definitely raised my eyebrow the most. Yeah, like unless they're super concerned, and I, I have no like evidence of this other than Mike Zimmer saying that Amir Smith-Marset was like kind of a big talker and maybe a little bit cocky, uh, unless he's just a horrible influence in the locker room, it's hard to see any logical rationale that why he would be chosen. When in 86 snaps last year, I mean, he kind of did something. When he was given a chance, he did something. Yeah. When he was given a chance this preseason, he did something. Early in games, too, not just like at the end of games when – you know, he's playing against grocery, uh, you know, people. The I, I just I don't understand why that was the choice when you have three him cheap three more years. Uh, he's got kind of like Jalen Rager-ish speed, maybe not quite Jalen Rager speed, but close. It, it, that's just confusing to me. Arif, do you have any inkling at all why they did this? Yeah, first, uh, good job on nailing the landing on that metaphor. But second, um, I would say that... <laughs> I would, I would grocery people <laughs> grocery, <laughs> grocery people, people. Yeah, you know grocery yeah, people are people grocery too. people yeah, yeah. um no yeah. i i think that uh the best way or the way that it makes the most sense to me is if they think of jalen regor as more than just a punt return if they see him as a contributor receiver because then that means that the fifth receiver spot would be reserved for somebody who exclusively would be able to participate on special teams should that be the only thing that they can do. And we know that Amir Smith-Marset is not a special teams asset. I remember I said that um, in a column a couple of weeks ago, and, and somebody was like, I don't understand. He was like the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Year or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Most of these people were. 
Um, but in NFL environments, you know, Amir Smith-Marset did not look comfortable with the punt return job, and it's not like he could compete for the kick return job. Kenny Wangu nearly made the Pro Bowl as a kick returner in eight games, right? It, it's clearly his job, right? They didn't even, you know, trot him out there as a kick returner. So I think that the fifth receiver spot is reserved for somebody that they feel can, if all he can do is participate on special teams, is the thing that he does. And in that sense, then maybe Jalen Ragor is seen as both a potential receiver and as a potential special teamer. Now, if Ragor wins the punt return job, maybe we'll see additional moves down the line where Jalen Naylor goes down to the practice squad and if Amir Smith-Marset lands on the practice squad, they elevate him back up. I don't know. But if Amir Smith-Marset is seen as both a fourth string receiver and a non-entity at a punt returner, then they don't have somebody who could exclusively participate in special teams. So that's the only way I'm thinking about it is that the fifth wide receiver spot is actually first string ST. So that's, that's the way that it makes the most sense to me. Yeah. In terms of impact, this feels like DD Westbrook last year um, who returned 22 sure. punts fairly serviceably, but as a receiver, I don't see it. And I've quoted this already a million times. I talked about it on superior sports talk this morning. I put it out on Twitter. Yards per route run, guys. 110 out of 110. Jalen Rager last year. At Treadwell-like. Worse than Treadwell. Yeah, I was about to say that, that, that's very reminiscent of Treadwell. Yeah. And these are that's how the Vikings reacted, the previous regime, when the Eagles took Jalen Rager. Brutal. Um, awkward much in the locker room once he gets here? We haven't heard from Jalen Rager yet, but I'm sure he's going to be asked, and I'm sure he hates being asked about it because – he is the butt of every joke. Look at that. Look at Mike, positively giddy. It's uh, it's the happiest he's ever been. Rick Spielman, so, happiest I'll, I'll, he's I'll, ever been. I'll, <laughs> I'll say this about Jalen Ragor. So, um, you know, I was talking to a couple of Philly people about this, um, and I was like, it's, what's, what's the deal, right? Because the, the Eagles were not the only people that saw Rager as a first-round pick, right? Like, if you talk to, you know, people who are connected to other teams, they also saw Rager as a first-round pick. Maybe not above Jefferson. Jefferson was very clearly, you know, for a lot of teams, the fourth receiver in that draft. So the, the consensus seemed to be that he was fairly uninterested in playing football uh, and, you know, was emotionally uninvested in the team. His fights with the fans, his fights with, um, you know, kind of the, the media in general kind of disassociated him from football a little bit. He was in a tough place. Obviously, you know, he wasn't physically where he needed to be. It didn't seem like he had the kind of dynamism that he had in college. It might be because of the way that he put on weight um, for the combine, even though he ran fast. I don't know if that's, you know, an area where like a specific football drill is easier to do. But, you know, kind of the whole weight of football moves is not as easy to do. But, you know, he was out of shape, uh, according to camp reports, both years that he showed up in the previous two camps. Now, it, it, now after a series of like fairly tragic events in his life, you know, he's close friends with uh, Jeff Gladney, also a TCU teammate who died in a car crash in May. His grandmother died in January. Um, apparently, this is the kind of um, reevaluation of his own life that, you know, he needed to be a little bit more focused. Something similar happened to Everson Griffin, if people remember correctly. And it sounded like he had entered camp with a lot more focus and a lot more, um, you know, a, a willingness and an attitude to play football with a sense of purpose. Uh, and his body was in shape, uh, you know, in a way that it hadn't been the previous two years. Now, we always hear stories, right, of how athletes are in the best shape of their life. Now, this is the year they're going to break out. Um, and you never know if those stories are accurate, but there is something meaningful attached to it. So it could be that there is something here uh, as a result of it. 
And, um, and, and the fact that, you know, it seems like the outside noise doesn't bother him anyway, because it very clearly bothered him and he was responding on social media and stuff like that. It doesn't even bother him anymore. It means that there might actually be something involved in a reclamation project here for Jalen Regor that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, identify like, you know, because Matt Khalil was always in the best shape of his life and then he wasn't right. So like that there might be something there. Quasi spoke about focusing on the tools of Jalen Rager, the skill set. And he had the same language about Ross Blacklock, almost like a scout would talk about a guy coming out of the draft. And Will Raggett's asked a very good question, like how are you weighing your evaluation in the pre-draft process versus their struggles on the field the last two years? And it sounds like they're, they're pretty focused on what they can do physically as a former first and a former second round pick. Um, and they get them not only for this year, guys, but they do get them for a second year. So they can see then once they learn the offense, can they develop in their third off season and then actually come to camp next year uh, in their final year of those deals looking even better. So I, I do see a little bit of logic there trying to capitalize on two years of like high ceiling physical prospects. Luke Brongo. It feels a little bit like when Troy Williamson got LASIK and it's like, Oh, this might be something. And like, I'm real happy for Jalen Rager. Cause he seems genuinely happier and like matters from a football perspective. It's one of these things. Like I gotta, I gotta believe it. To, I gotta see it to believe it, but we don't need him to become a breakout. Oh, look, now he's playing like the first rounder. We thought he was, we need him to be like wide receiver four. And if somebody in the wide receiver room goes down, he comes in as a wide receiver three and he's not a liability. That probably gives us enough to say, okay, we didn't overpay too bad for him. Um, that feels like the expectation that's set based on what they paid, which is pretty minimal cap and day three picks. Um, you're looking for a wide receiver four. If he doesn't break out and this actually is the answer and wow, he's got his head right and he's actually going to be the Jalen Rigor we thought he was at TCU. Holy crap, yeah, that's a coup. Uh, but the expectation doesn't need to be that. And I, I, I hope that the Minnesota media market, while not the most polite all the time, a little better than Philly. So maybe that'll be good for him. Right, right. Will this I think tenure good be more successful than Josh Doxson? <laughs> that's the bar to clear right well so i think Maybe. a good for this question is 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 was jarius Wright a good draft pick and i think for most people yes. most of the time the answer would be yes right i mean he was a fourth round pick mm -hmm. he, he was consistent he produced in some pretty big moments but primarily he was a very good backup that you could rely on on third down right um you didn't expect him to be wide receiver one nobody expected that except you know maybe him which is you know his prerogative um that's what they paid for uh for Jalen Regor. And if he can be as productive as Jarius Wright, that means that even though his story in the NFL will be that he's a bust, right? It'll mean that the Vikings made the right move and that he had some redemption for uh, this point in his career. Last one on the press conference. Is Quazy going to say anything interesting ever again? The USA Today story was juicy. The quotes were great, and I think it ruined it. I think he got too lambasted. He got questioned too hard on it, and he's completely shut down. It was a great honeymoon period. Uh, we had some good times with him. He was interesting. He was um, extremely, like, he came at football from a different 
uh, standard of thinking. No more. It's over. He's now officially like the Demir GM. Sad. We're I was not waiting for him in that presser to drop a time horizon, and I didn't hear him drop a Another time one, horizon. Yeah. I was very sad about that. Yeah. No. We're not going to find out if uh, if we have a, a, a looser uh, lips quasi until the combine again next year, right? where um, mm. you've got you know the, the the podium, which you know he's going to be as tight lipped as whatever, and then there's like kind of the after side session with local reporters where he's a little bit more informal because he was fairly informal uh, with us at the combine, and he shared some stuff off the record that you felt like you know. Were I to put this on the record, it might be cast in a in a poor light and become a big story, right? Um, now, if he tightens up in that session, that tells us that there's a lesson that he thinks he's learned and that he's not going to be open again. But if not, you know, maybe this is going to be a situation where he's going to be able to pick and choose the moments where he can be a little bit more candid. Quasies, the problem is that he believes everything is like the aggregate. All, all the decisions he makes are taking in all of these um different variables and nothing is black and white with him so he's never going to give you a straight answer he's going to say well it's part of the equation or you know this plays into it and this plays into it but he will never tell you that a decision was made based on this factor or this factor um it's he's always going to lean on sort of that accumulation of information which i think is going to become a frustrating buzzword down the road there's the doorbell who is making a cameo on the football party? Quasi, oh my God. Oh, it's Gophers Hall of Famer Ron Johnson. Hours before hey the Gophers kick off the season against New Mexico State. Ron, are you fired up for tonight or what? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's New Mexico State, so it's good to get real football back. Uh, you know, I, I think, honestly, it's going to take a while to really get back into this. Thursday nights, I don't really, I'm not a fan of them. Um, I do like night games, but for some reason this game just – feels weird to me. It doesn't like I haven't got it yet. Maybe I have to get on campus and and get, you know, get under the lights and, and start to feel it. Yeah. Is Jerry kill PJ Fleck? Is it going to be much ado about nothing or is there actually going to be something to, to write about tomorrow? I don't know. I mean, you honestly you just don't know. We, we know men make weird decisions. So who knows what Jerry kill had for breakfast? You know how we woke up on the, what, what hotel he woke up in. Um, if somebody Lawrence tailored him and, and sent some strippers to his room or, uh, you know, send some 4 a.m. pizza to his room or something. So, you know, you, you never really know uh, how a coach wakes up and feels just like players. Like you really don't know uh, where some of these players mentally when they get up in the morning because there's you just never know. So with Jerry, though, I mean, hopefully being back in Minnesota, maybe had a nostalgic feeling and he wants to leave out of here in good graces and not get booed out uh, when they're losing, you know, 48 to 12. Um, so, you know, maybe he will just shake the hand. I don't think there'll be a long conversation. Uh, if it is a shake, it's going to be one of those quick hardball, uh, Pat Fitzgerald type, you know, firm handshakes and then keep it moving. Yeah. One question uh, more for me, and then we'll go around the horn, but I, I wanted to ask you about Asesi Otomewo again. I know we've talked about it on the Ron Johnson show, but he's on the Vikings roster now. I think there was some question whether he was going to make it or not. Uh, maybe it's not this year, but down the road, what do you think he can be in the NFL? Because I know you watched him closely as a member of the Gophers last year. Yeah, um, in a 3-4, I think he fits well. In a true 4-3, he's uh, he's kind of an undersized in, um, you know, and, and maybe more like a Dwight Freeney, true to size. Dwight got bigger, though. Uh, in a 3-4, in a and that's the key, is like he's not really a stand-up linebacker, but could he become a DeMarcus Ware? We don't know. 
Um, you know, if they do decide to keep him the entire season, we'll learn what he can and can't do from a two-point stance. I know he did stand up for the Gophers a little bit, so he has the ability to stand up. He is a big, tall kid. Um, so, you know, one of those guys that might put on that, you know, th that freshman 15, as they call it, uh, and get another, you know, get some more weight to him, some more strength to him. Uh, you know, Vikings uh, strength and conditioning coach, um, Coach Keys, he mentioned how much they put into their offseason program, how much the nutritionist dives into these players now, uh, the Gatorade refueling stations, all the stuff that uh, is, is, is new as of the last, you know, five, six years. Uh, you know, he'll have a chance to gain that weight. So I could see him uh, finding a spot in that Y5, that 4I. I don't really see him as a, th a true 3 or a nose uh, just for, because of his length and his size. Um, I think he becomes like a tweener kind of stand-up guy, you know, 5, 4I guy where they can move him around, you know, outside the guard and tackles, figuring out what he's going to do best. We'll hit you with a few 53-man uh, questions here, perhaps. Luke Braun, you got anything for uh, Ron Johnson before he has to get to Gophers duty? I, I kind of want to keep talking about um, Otomewo is because for, for me, like he's a developmental guy. He's a guy with a lot, a lot of stuff to learn, and and that's okay. That's the kind of guy you're looking for in day three. But for me, it feels like once those guys make a roster, that's like a huge step. Is there a, and this is me not knowing, this is my perspective. I don't know if there's a difference here. But from day to day, is there a difference between being like a guy on the 53-man roster who might not dress for as many game days or maybe only rotate in a little bit, but you're you're there, you're on the 53 versus being a guy on the practice squad on a scout team and doing those responsibilities instead? Is it easier to learn one way or another, whether you're on the scout team or on like the bottom parts of the 53? Uh, yeah, no, it depends on your off the field mentality. Um, they're all in practice together. So they're all in meetings together. Uh, whether you're a practice squad receiver or a starting receiver, whether you're a practice squad DN or, or a, 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 you know, the fourth DN on the roster, uh, they're all in the same meetings. They're all doing the same drills. They're all doing the same, you know, with coach one-on-one uh, -on -one stuff. They're all going through one-on-ones during practice. I think the biggest difference is going to be the opportunity for actual game time play where, um, is a long season, somebody gets nicked up. Somebody's tired and gassed. He gets to go in and maybe only get five, six plays. He's playing on special teams. So that NFL speed, he's getting it. You know, I, I equate that to you look at like a guy like Tyus Jones uh, playing basketball, for instance. You know, him being a seventh and eighth grader on varsity, was it a value to him or should he have just continued to play little league basketball uh, in his association? No, it, it probably was better because he was practicing against bigger, better guys. He was playing against bigger, better guys. And when he got a chance to play in games, he was phenomenal. You know, ended up being a freshman starter and so on and so forth. So I think that's where you kind of look at these early opportunities to either practice squad or just be, you know, the number number 49 or 50 on the roster where you may or may not dress. Uh, I think there's a little bit to that because you're getting you are actually at some point possibly going to get some some true game time situational play. All right, so my question actually still has to do kind of with the Gophers, kind of with the Vikings. Now, the Vikings, um, maybe you could say the last missing piece on their offensive line is the center group. I know the Gophers have possibly the best center in the country, maybe the best center in the Big Ten. I don't know. I'm a little bit of a homer when it comes to that sort of thing, but I really do like John Michael Schmitz. But my understanding is that the center group in the Big Ten is maybe better than it's ever been. I don't know that much about the draft. I don't know that much college, uh, college sports, so let me know if I'm wrong. But... 
Should the Vikings draft the Gopher center? If not, uh, is there another center in the Big Ten you've got your eye on? Uh, no, I haven't even do- dove into the Big Ten stuff just yet. Uh, from a from a Gopher standpoint, John Michael Schmidt. So one reason he came back was he got hurt in the bowl game. Nothing serious, but had a little injury in the bowl game. Didn't feel like he'd be able to go through offseason workouts. Uh, so he decided to come back. He also wants to be a, a, a doctor, or I think he already is heading towards his doctorate or you know whatever he's going to do in his field. So extremely smart guy, uh, a guy that, that really cares about uh, off the field as much as he does on the field when it comes to classroom stuff and furthering his career. Uh, so drafting a guy like that, you have to really make sure you 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 feel like he really truly loves the game, um, because you don't want to draft a guy early because he is really good, uh, but then he 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 decides to say you know what I'm gonna hang it up and go be a doctor, because uh, we were seeing that a lot lately now where guys who feel like they're gonna make more in a different field than they will playing three or four years in the NFL, a lot of guys are just hang you know after one year they're getting banged up and they're hanging it up they're like ah. Nah, let me let me go be a, a vice president of a company. Let me start uh, working my way up. So like when I'm 40 and 50, I kind of have myself set. If I know I'm not going to get the Jeff Saturday type of career in money, um, you know that's that's you know that's where I think you have to really watch this season, see how he plays, how is his health, um, and and does he seriously, you know, because they're going to interview him. Does he seriously want to do this? Like, is this really him or is, is being a doctor more important, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you want to make sure you get the right guy. As far as the rest of the Big Ten, uh, I'd say in about three weeks, we could talk about that. Um, off-season stuff, I, I take it with a grain of salt, to be honest, in college, because college rankings, it's all yeah. about hype. It's all about ESPN. Um, I mean, look at Spencer Rattler and all these quarterbacks for the last couple of years, you know, they've been they've been riding them like, oh, man, this guy is the greatest. And then he doesn't play. Oh, man, that guy sucks. Look at him. But, you know, it's it's all about hype. Um, and, and I think that's we're going to like Arch Manning versus this kid out of Pasadena, California. Like, I'm interested in what they do in the next two or three years, because everybody's so high on, you know, kid out of my high school, uh, Dante Moore, you know, going to Oregon. Uh, number, you know, he's better than Arch Manning now. They're saying he's the number one player in the country. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want to see, you know, is this high school hype or is this real college hype? And same, same for these college guys now. Is this off-season just talk? Or when they get in the games, are they really legit and are they really holding up to it? Because, I mean, we know Garrett Bradbury, where his deficiencies are. We'll see if Kirk Cousins being able to change the plays helps him out. We haven't seen that yet, uh, November or September 11th. I think all eyes are going to be on that quarterback center exchange, some of the pre-snap stuff that Kirk's able to do. I think that's what we're really going to be excited about. And if it just looks bad and, and, and Bradbury's not the guy and Schlotman comes in or somebody, you know, then, yeah, I'd say you go after one of these centers in the draft. Yeah, and he's one of those 24-year-old guys, too, I think. The yeah. Gophers' offense is so old. they got to be older than, like, some NFL teams with all these 60-year starters, which is crazy. Before you go, Ron, i got to have you weigh in on the big wide receiver topic. Uh, Jalen Rager coming to the Vikings. Amir, Amir Smith-Marset waived. We don't know if he made it through waivers yet. Your thoughts on that deal? Uh, you know what, from a kick return standpoint or punt return standpoint, uh, punt can make or break a season. Uh, a, a muff punt here or there can really kill your your game. I mean, look at BB. He he fumbled a punt, and then he did actually come back and win the game against Carolina in the end with a catch, but shouldn't have had to do that. You know, you, you catch that punt, you're not having to redeem yourself. So I think the punt situation is extremely important. And so if you feel like, I think that's what they said, uh, a, a Smith-Marset wasn't really giving them much in the offense that they felt like they had to have him. 
uh, but they weren't really sold on his punt return ability. And with Jalen Rager, we've seen him take a punt to the house. We've seen him consistently. I mean, he did it in TCU. He's consistently called punts. He is extremely fast. Uh, so, so speed for speed, you're, you're, you're getting the same, you know, speed guy that can take the top off. But now you do get a true home run opportunity punt returner because, I mean, yeah, fair catching it is easy. But if he doesn't look comfortable, even with the fair catches, I mean, there were Smith-Marset times where he's running around. And you're holding your breath. Even those preseason, you're like, oh, man, like, that didn't look routine. Like, he made that punt return or that fair catch look a lot harder uh, than it had to be. And catching NFL punts is not easy. Uh, it is not, especially with guys barreling down at you. Uh, there's no halo rule like in college. So guys can, like, literally kiss you on the neck while you're trying to, you know, catch a catch a, a punt. And so that's, that's the thing I think is the toughest. When there's a guy breathing down your neck, blowing in your ear, you're trying to catch a punt. You're trying to decide: Do I take this? Do I not? Uh, Smith Marset maybe just you know he wasn't he, he wasn't the guy uh, for it. You know, a little less Lance Stevenson, LeBron. Yeah, James, I was just thinking you know, Lance blow, Stevenson, but, Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know, it just it just it just I think you get a lot out of it. And also, we have to remember this kid was the number twenty-one, you know, twenty-first receiver taken in the or per player taken in the draft that year. One of the top six receivers mm -hmm. taken. Uh, Philadelphia, I think their offense was trash at points. And so when you have a rookie quarterback, uh, you have a trashy offense, there's sometimes the receivers aren't done justice. I mean, look at all these other receivers that wanted to leave uh, certain places because of their offense. And then, you know, all of a sudden now the Eagles make a change, but, you know, it's a little too late now. They got, uh, what, A.J. Brown, I think. And so mm -hmm. when you when you bring in a guy, I think for Jalen Rager, for them, they were like, you know what, we got we got our guy now. We think we got the number one receiver that we need. Jalen, you were drafted to be that. You're not. You weren't Justin Jefferson. But I think he could be just fine as a as a three and a four wide receiver with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. It adds it adds another guy that can run jet sweeps as well. Uh, you know, all that kind of screens, all that kind of stuff. It, it gives you. But I think for the most part, it was part return. They're going to go three wide, one tight end, one running back, uh, two tight ends, two receivers, one running back, two running backs two tight ends and one receiver a lot more than we think. So that fourth receiver, I mean, I think it's going to be him or Jalen Naylor, probably Jalen Naylor out the gate because he's been here. And then he's going to be your punt returner just to make sure, hey, we get the ball back. Get the ball back to Kurt. That's all we need you to do. We don't need you to try to break it every time. Just get the ball back to Kurt. He's Ron Johnson of the Ron Johnson Show, and he can beat some 26-year-olds in a bunch of stuff if you're watching on YouTube. That is a great list. Follow him at 3RonJohnson on Twitter. As you go off screen here, Ron, I need a score prediction. Gophers tonight, what do you got? Um, I, I'm going to go like 48 or 49 to like 17. So they don't cover the spread. I don't think. And that's all I care yeah, I don't about. Think they, I don't think, yeah, I don't think they beat them. I don't think they beat him by 36 and a half. That's a lot. Um, I just don't know if PJ has that pettiness in him, but maybe he does. Um, I do know if they run ISO and, and trap and, and, and counter and Jerry can't stop it, I don't see PJ telling his running backs towards the end of the game to take a knee. Like, I think they'll keep running it. So it, it comes down to can he stop it? Because he's, this is a big offensive line compared to what they have. I'm, I'm excited to see Quinn Carroll. Like, some of these – linemen that we wanted are back and so I really want to see what Quinn Carroll can do I mean coming from Notre Dame it's a it's a pro style atmosphere um and so now you get a really big smart kid back so I think 
coming from Daniel Filele, he has some big shoes to fill. But it'll be it's gonna be fun to watch Queen Carol tonight too. Uh, that's not a sexy thing to watch, but but I am looking forward to seeing what he looks like early. Because if he looks good, really good against this team, then I'm not worried about Michigan State. But if he looks like okay and getting killed against this team, then you know, hey, maybe he wasn't what we thought he was coming out of Edina and. Uh, you know, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he wasn't, you know, cultivated the way he would have if he had just come here from the start. But hey, that's, that's neither here nor there. It's time to play tonight. Yeah, we'll be locked in. Thanks a lot, Ron. You'll be back on the, uh, the Lockdown Sports Minnesota roundtable in the morning to break it all down. All right, four minute drill coming up. We're going to grade Quazy's best move as GM thus far. But first, a word from betonline.net the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You heard it. The Gophers are favored by 36.5 tonight against the Aggies. The Vikings Packers line is down to Packers minus one in 10 days. You can find it all at betonline.net. They've got MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, eSports, golf lines, whatever you can imagine. They're your top online resource for all sports wagering info. Live in-game betting there as well. Scores and podcasts, they've got you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. Bet Online, where the game starts. And it's time for the four-minute drill. Will Raggett's had a tweet earlier this week laying out that Quazy has made 10 trades in his time as GM, six in the draft, four in the last few days. There's the tweet. Um, he was very active in free agency. He's signed, you know, restructured guys. He's extended guys. He's been an active GM in the first, what, three quarters of a year. So I want his best move as GM thus Far. And we start with Luke Braun. It's funny. The two candidates I have for this both involve the Packers. I was going to say this is Darius Smith, but I actually think the best move is trading down with the Packers in the draft because that was a coup. That was a second round pick for two second round picks. I still am flabbergasted as to how the Packers allowed that to happen. Did they read it wrong? Did they think that it was a different... I mean, I still am like beyond myself how that happened and who they got for that they traded down they ended up trading up a little bit later and ended up getting Andrew Booth instead of the Packers to Christian Watson who doesn't appear ready for week one and Andrew Booth is like close to it so I guess call it a wash and then you get a starting right guard in Ed Ingram don't love the pick for other reasons but hey it's working out on the field and Brian Osamoa who is um part of the the Lions trade so that is a lot of value sort of manufactured out of thin air. I love the Zadarius Smith signing too, but I, I think it's got to be the draft trade that broke even the like old school charts. I have no idea what the Packers were thinking and why they let a division rival do that to them. Did it break the old school charts too? I thought the old school charts were favorable for Lions and Packers, but the new school is where the Vikings uh, really cleaned up. For the Lions, but I'm pretty sure the Packers one broke like everything because it was two second rounders for a second rounder. Mm -hmm. You just doubled your yeah, money. I, I, I don't. Yeah. It's I, I, it makes I no think sense. The, I think the uh, the old school charts hated the Lions trade, but they, I think they did like the Packers yeah. trade, and then the new school charts liked the Lions trade and loved the Packers trade. Arif, you had a giddy look on your face when Luke was talking. Yeah, was okay. I was actually going to go well? with the. I was going to go with that trade. I did have a backup in case it was selected before me, you know, just like any any good drafter. 
Um, but I, I did, mm -hmm. I did love that that Green Bay trade. That was going to be my pick for the reasons that Luke outlined. Um, and it's, it really sucks that Luke plagiarized my take. Really unfortunate, but that's the kind of character he has. Um, <laughs> so the the uh, the uh, the the best signing actually, I don't think it's the Jerry Smith signing, which I like, and 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 the fact that his last you know, week and a half, two weeks of camp were, were tremendous, especially in joint practices, I think speaks to it. But my favorite signing has to be a Harrison Phillips signing, six and a half million dollars a year, $3.8 million in cap hit this year. Um, I thought he was a good player when they signed him. And, uh, you know, the, all the Buffalo Bills fans and the Buffalo Bills writers that commented on it were like, yeah, sucks. Buffalo has to see him go. They just, you know, they couldn't fit him into the defensive line room the way they've been bolstering the defensive line. But, you know, he's been a really good Buffalo Bill for them. And I was like, okay, great. You know, he's a starting quality player. And watching him in camp, I know that uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell said that Dalvin Tomlinson was maybe the best performer by their own charting and their own grading in camp. But honestly, by my eyes, you know, it's Harrison Phillips. I thought he's been tremendous in camp. The very, very little that we saw of him in the preseason, I thought was really good. And it, it spoke to that. But he has been, I think, remarkable. And it's not just because he's going up against like Garrett Bradbury or whatever. Sometimes he'll split and play defensive end. He'll go against both of the guards. But, you know, we saw him in joint practices against the 49ers offensive line. And he was just wrecking people. I think that that you know, was really phenomenal. And normally I'm not a huge nose tackle guy, but the Vikings have found ways to get a bunch of value out of nose tackles, including like Linval Joseph. I remember when PFF was putting together the wins above replacement charts, I was, I was chatting with Eric Eager behind the scenes and I was like, Hey, so I know that PFF is, is, is dogs, nose tackles for value versus dollar. Right. Um, but I got to know, does that even apply to Linval Joseph? And Eric Eager replied to me, and he's like, no, actually, uh, Linval Joseph is positive in terms of the wins above replacement that he provides versus the contract value the Vikings um, provide for him. And I think the same will be true of Harrison Phillips, which is pretty rare for that position. Make sure you're commenting below on YouTube as well what your favorite move is of Kwesi, uh so far in his tenure as GM. Subscribe, like the video, all that. Here's mine. And Luke kind of spoiled it. And I got mad at Luke Inman for spoiling uh, stuff last week, too. So I'm equally as mad at you, Luke Braun. But the Zadarius Smith I stated move, that was my goal, to make both of you mad. So we're It's good. true. It's you true. You succeed. Constantly. Call my shot. Zadarius Smith is a certifiable top 10 pass rusher in this league. In some years, he's been top five. 2019, he was spectacular with Green Bay. And you get him with a very un, you know, restricting cap hit year one. Your guaranteed money is like a quarter of the total uh, potential value of the contract. You team him up with Daniil Hunter, and you found ways to find you found that money without like lengthening, you know, Dalvin Cook's contract or kicking money down the road on bad contracts. They did kick the money down the road on some other contracts, but players that I'm more okay with than like a Dalvin Cook. Um, so. For that, I think he deserves a pat on the back. I do think there are a number of moves that leave me scratching my head. Um, and the fact that I'm not more thrilled about some of the, the other stuff is a little concerning to me. But I think I'm, I'm willing to give Kwesi the benefit of the doubt when it comes to some of these cut-down day moves. Um, you know, whether, it's, it, whether you're a fan of the draft maneuvering or not, it was definitely polarizing. Um, but I am willing to see how this plays out because... I think everybody deserves like a year or two just to get their feet under them and see if their system works out. Um, any thoughts on like, just like overall, like of the, I don't know, 50 transactions that have been made in nine months. Are you yeah, in I'll favor of most of his moves? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think my biggest criticism of Kwesi is 
instead of the individual moves that he's made, it's the overall approach to the offseason he's had, which is one that is very similar to Spielman's, where they think that they have the ability to ride the line between, you know, rebuilding slash, you know, reloading, I think is the way that people talk about it now. But like riding the line between, you know, keeping a championship window open and aggressively pursuing that window by supplementing a win now type roster, while at the same time finding ways to maximize the amount of developmental upside that your roster can have and the amount of youth that you can have in the roster in order to rebuild uh, and acquiring picks to that end. Um, that I think is is extremely difficult and not generally a goal worth pursuing. I think that you have to commit one way or the other. The Rams committed one way to winning now, uh, and uh, the Bengals a couple of years ago committed the other way to rebuilding, and then they both ended up in the Super Bowl, right? So I, I think that there's ways to do it. I think it's pretty rare to be able to do it. Um, I think even the teams that have an explicit infrastructure to do it, like the Seahawks, uh, end up failing to do it. Um, so it, it, I don't love that. But within the framework of that vision, if we think that that vision is a good vision, I think that overall, most of his moves have been good rather than bad. Um, I think that he has generally created positive value. Um, I think that the biggest issue with the Lions trade is that he signaled that he's willing to take below market rates for trade downs in the first round, which is going to impact his ability to generate opportunity going forward. He should know that as a finance guy. Um, but, you know, I, I like, you know, things like this Darius Smith move. I like things like the Harrison Phillips signing. Um, I understand the Michael Pierce, you know, versus Harrison Phillips kind of situation. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that that all makes sense. Uh, there are some moves that don't make a ton of sense. I still think Armin Watts for uh, Blacklock for what, what is essentially upside and another year of control on that contract. Um, that one doesn't make sense to me. There are a couple of moves here I don't like. But overall, I like what he's done within the framework of what he's attempting to accomplish. I don't like mm -hmm. what he is attempting to accomplish. Yeah, well stated. I pretty much agree with that. I, I think a lot of what he's done is really smart. And I think it's not hard to see what he's trying to do here. And a lot of it just feels like you're just transitioning from a Zimmer built team to an O'Connell and Donatel built team. Um, and I think there's a lot like right now, it, it, cut down day always feels bad, especially when you go to a new scheme, because you're going to get a lot of draft picks and people that had a developmental plan, but the guy who knew that plan doesn't work here anymore. And so you're going to lose a lot of guys that maybe they would have stuck by if it was the old regime would have stuck by guys like Chaz Surratt or Kellen Mond, give them another year, see if they come around that kind of thing. Um, and so you're kind of purging, like we, we've purged a whole bunch of value of rookie contracts and it feels really bad, but it's part of the transition. Um, it's really hard to make that kind of judgment. This is not a one-year plan. This is a two-year, maybe a three-year plan to get to something else. And what's interesting is it's still unclear. The biggest question is it's unclear if Kirk Cousins is a long-term thing for the Vikings or a short-term thing for the Vikings. They kind of deferred that decision. And if they defer it again next mm -hmm. year, they are just going to sort of sit floating in this. We've kind of got a quarterback. We kind of don't. And he's expensive and it's hard to build around. Him. And you're going to just keep floating in this place we've been floating in since 2018. The, the no trade clause is probably the worst decision that was made to, to lose that flexibility going into next year. Um, and if they are forced to make those one-year decisions going forward where their Kirk is holding their feet to the fire to get that no-trade clause, well, then you put yourself in a little bit of a bind, but it's not the worst thing ever if it's only one year. Um, so yeah. I'm not going to overreact to that. And I do think that for, like Arif said, for the goal of remaining competitive, yeah, Kirk probably was the best quarterback for this team. It just maybe wasn't the best approach going in to try to like run it back with mostly the same guys. 
You guys want to do some nerdy stats? I hate because I've got stats. one. I hate eggheads. Yeah, who needs them? I'll, I've got one. I mean, if you guys don't have enough uh, enough stats in your back pocket, how about this? Jalen Rager. PFF is a heck of a tool. Uh, he is the second highest rated punt return grade of any punt returner that had 25 or more punt returns last year. Second highest. Do you guys want to guess number one? I love guessing games. I didn't pay a bunch no, of attention to punt returners last year. I'm going to guess it uh, was not D.D. Westbrook. No. No. Jakeem Grant, number one. But Jalen, oh, okay. number two. Miami, right? Despite no, having him off. No, Jakeem is Chicago. Oh, Chicago. What was I thinking mm. of? Yeah, two games against the Vikings. That'll do thinking? it. <laughs> two games against the Vikings. Nerdy stats. Luke Braun. All right, I got one. Comes from the 2021 Rams. We're pretty relevant to our interests right now. Uh, when they ran... Their staple, one of their staple plays, which was duo at a three by one, 11 personnel, three wide receivers, three by one. When they ran duo at a three by one, they averaged 4.9 yards per play. This mostly was a first and 10 run for them. It's like a staple, very vanilla, very kind of work a bunch of these in every single game, no matter what. And they got averaged setting up a second and five. Most people will call it a successful play. Uh, when they, they didn't run it a lot on second and long situations, but when they did, they averaged eight yards of play. That is also going to be a staple of the Vikings. We've already seen it in preseason and in camp. It's something they've run a ton. Um, they'll put all kinds of bells and whistles on it that, of course, they're keeping close to the vest. But for now, that is um, something that you should look for when the Vikings offense gets going. That's duo is a six on four up front. You got all five linemen in the tight end up against four defensive linemen usually. And the way, if that starts working, the way defenses will respond to it is by flattening out the front more and bringing more guys up, not, not just into the box, but up onto the line of scrimmage, like bare fronts and stuff. And the key to that is that running that duo play with a wide receiver bunch, a helps blocking, right? Everybody's a lot closer. So you can get a KJ Osborne in there. Or that was Cooper cup for the Rams, but B if you can set up three-by-one bunch and have enough of a run threat where you don't even need to do play action, they're just going to start flattening out their front and you're just going to have more room to run behind guys, that's where the Rams unlocked a whole bunch of the passing offense that took them to the Super Bowl. Not necessarily even, they did use play action and keepers and that was part of it, but even on non-play action plays, that sort of interaction in that particular play and that particular formation was huge. So that's my nerdy stat, 4.9 uh, yards per play just on those first down runs, that particular play call. Luke will that not get football nerd cred for not annoying. having used the word surface to describe the changes in the defensive front structure. That is unfortunate. No points to Luke Braun. No time horizons. Hate to see it. <laughs> uh, my nerdy stat was actually going to be about the piece uh, I, uh, I was, I was going to write for the Athletic uh, tonight, but actually I was looking something up as we were discussing I don't know, duo runs or some, some, you know, insider football stuff. Instead, I wanted to look up pass rush win rates for uh, Blacklock and Armand Watts. And this is interesting. The pass rush win rate, a statistic that is used by both ESPN and PFF to, de to describe what happens when a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman uh, interact with each other, 
who wins that rep without, you know, counting pressures because the quarterback might have gotten rid of the ball quickly or counting pressures as wins because the quarterback held on to the ball too long, who wins in the first basically two and a half seconds of a pass rush rep, um, which, which translates into pass rush pressure going forward. It's a much better stable statistic for predicting wins, losses, and pressures. Um, the pass rush win rate for Armand Watts last year was 11.1%. The pass rush win rate for Ross Blacklock was 11.1%. They tied, which I find pretty interesting given kind of the general consensus that we have that Armand Watts uh, is a better player than Ross Blacklock, which I also think is true. I, I don't think that pass rush win rate defines the totality of how good a player is. But I find that that, that one's kind of interesting, an identical pass rush win rate. Now, uh, Blacklock, I believe, ended up with... Um, with a, a slightly better pressure rate and stuff like that, but that's just kind of, uh, you know, random asides. Like it might have to do with, you know, opposing quarterbacks holding on the ball, like I said, or offensive linemen making, you know, mistakes that, you know, don't get counted and stuff like that. I feel like Watts would have played a little more nose-ish role than Blacklock as yeah. well. If when, when Yeah, that's Pierce another bit of context. Hurt. Yes. And, yeah, and I think if you go back to 2020, I think Blacklock was like 137 of 137. In, in like a major PFF category. It might have just been overall. I, I, I think I think it was in run rank, I want to say. Um, mm. But either way, his pressure in 2020 was not spectacular either. Uh, and so if you compare so the 2020 better. seasons, Armand Watts is way ahead. Yeah. Well, he performed better. I don't know if he got better, right? You know, there's a lot of things that go into a player's performance sometimes. Uh, it's who you're up against yeah. sometimes. You know, it's just random. Super true. Speaking of uh, Vikings cuts that got claimed by the Bears, Amir Smith-Marset just broke like two minutes You're ago. You're kidding me. Oh, I'm my not kidding you gosh. at all. Tom Pelissero five minutes ago. That's so funny. Armand Watts, Amir Smith-Marset. Let's go. He's like wide receiver two now there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's the Bears. Like, well, I think, I think I saw a Bears writer basically saying like, well, who on the Bears receiving unit is actually better than Amir Smith-Marset? They better claim this guy. And I was like, frankly surprisingly it's honest it's kind of a good point yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amir smith tweets well. new beginnings <laughs> prayer hands yeah so now not only will christian watson and jameson williams be connected to the vikings forever now amir smith marset rounds out the trifecta within the division that that's just great the vikings are giving like lots of opportunities for in-division rivals to show them up right the Lions with the trade, the Packers with the trade, if Christian Watson turns out to be good, the Bears a couple of times because of these waiver claims. Like, there's a lot of opportunities that the front office is giving for people to put egg on their face. This is, like, really interesting. This the, feels like a lesson are just collecting in, like, Vikings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, this is it. Yeah, there's, well, I mean, it could be a positive lesson, like, hey, the lesson is I was right and I should keep doing this. But I'm True. worried that that's not the case. Yeah, when when Amir Smith Marset catches like a runaway dagger touchdown to send them to one and four Against after the they just lost in London, you're going to be like, maybe we should care that they're in the division. There are some serious well, I mean, they, they didn't um, specifically make a deal with the Bears. Possibilities this wasn't an in division trade. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, but there's yeah, a Packers spots in there too that matters. You had to see this one come. <laughs> Everyone was tweeting yesterday. Yep. He's going to the Bears. He's going to the Packers. We, it was known. It was a known fact that he was going there. Um, I think we've got time for one more short topic and then some party fouls. Uh, make sure to check out LockedOnPodcast.com slash Minnesota as well. 
uh, for all of our listens and care11.com slash locked on for links to every show. What would surprise you schematically 10 days from now, week one, if the Vikings just rolled out some package that would just leave your jaw on the floor, what would it be? I'd be stunned if they used a lot of two tight end. Uh, That just feels like they're not going to do any, like, it feels, I don't know, I've spent a lot of time trying to familiarize myself with McVay offenses, and it feels like exactly what they did, the Vikings are doing. So any departure from what the Rams did last year would be a surprise. Um, But there's, uh, for all the talk about, like, tight end depth, they're going to have one or none on the field the lion's share of the time. You might have your bigger package is probably going to be 21 pack personnel with CJ Ham, and he'll kind of functionally be your second like tight end size player, second kind of blocker player. Um, but if they went too tight end a lot, the only reason that would happen is if your tight end is getting his butt kicked in blocking and you need to, to start making those two on ones. But that feels like a, a move you don't make week one. That feels like something you have to get fed up with it over a couple of weeks to start doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know that yep. there's a specific package they could use a ton that would surprise me. It sounds like they really want, like, my understanding, and I don't know if it was because you said this explicitly to me, Sam, and I am repeating it as if it's an insight of my own, but my understanding mm-hmm. is that they want to be a lot more flexible in the personnel packages than the Rams were, right? And uh, they have the personnel, I think, to be able to do that outside of, like Luke said, the tight end depth. But the thing is, Ben Ellison, an argument that I won, by the way, Ben Ellison is a starting quality <laughs> blocker, right? Um, I lost a lot of arguments on the, our 53-man show, but I, I, I got to take my Ws. Uh, but uh, Ben Ellison is a starting quality blocker as a tight end, right? And so um, if your package has it such that you're doing a lot of play action and Ben Ellison stays in for pass protection um, you know, for your play, which is how you get a lot, like a lot of people always see, oh my God, I can't believe they put the tight end on this like all pro edge rusher. Well, that usually happens because it's a play action look and that's the blocking assignment in the run action that you're working off of. And sometimes that's just what happens. You maybe want to minimize it, but you're never going to be able to disguise your run without making it look like the run that it was. Um, So I think that you might have a situation where you've got a lot of two tight end that looks like those run looks that give you play action. And I could foresee a, a bunch of two tight end sets that come out of that, even though there's only three tight ends on the roster, right? So I, I get kind of what that would look like. There's not a ton of personnel, but they, a sixth offensive lineman like Blake Brandell out there a lot. Yeah, sure. Why not? That sounds right to me. Yeah. Four wide receivers out there a lot. Yeah, sure. I could see it. I don't know. Um, there's, a, there's a ton. That, put Kenny Wong and Dalvin Cook on the field at the same time. I don't know. That makes sense. It, it feels like there's a lot of flexibility in the way that the offense is approaching things and the way that Kevin O'Connell wants to do things. Like, but yeah, every every new coach kind of tries to transmit that idea. I do think that there is some teeth to that in this case. Yeah, I guess the only thing that would shock me is if they were just like Clint Kubiak's offense, where there wasn't okay. a lot of motion, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of predictability. <laughs> what if Kevin O'Connell is just wicked conservative? He's just like frightened by the moment. He doesn't <laughs> want to make bold decisions. That would so be they kept doing shocking it this last year. I didn't want to disrupt disappointing. anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were 11th in offense. Why would I want to change it? <laughs> don't, don't want to upset the apple cart. CJ Ham. All day. <laughs> 
Um, party fouls, gentlemen, our tradition to end the show. We have animation. Let's run it. I love the spilled cup at the end of that video. Um, my party foul for this week. What did I have? Oh, yeah. Back to the 53, man. I think I lost the most sleep. And by losing sleep, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about losing actual sleep over this. Blake Lynch. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm hurt worse. Oh, yeah. About Blake Lynch. Mm-hmm. Then Zach Davidson, I think, because I can actually see where Davidson like sort of played his way out of that job. But I felt like Troy Dye played his way out of that job, and Blake Lynch played his way into it, and yet short shrifted. Um, so, and no surprise, picked up by the team that was just here and saw him, and they probably said that number forty-eight looks pretty darn good. Wish he was on our team. Oh, now he is. So wait till the NFC Championship game when Blake Lynch is filling in for an injured Fred Warner and uh, intercepts Kirk Cousins in the flat. Party foul. Will Kirk Cousins be playing for the Packers or? (laughs) (laughs) Trade deadline. Quasi can't resist himself. Just a little swing a deal. Maybe actually for Jimmy G. Man for man. I'm taking the Amir Smith-Marset one. Come on, man. That you had uh, an explosive deep threat wide receiver. Uh, you know, struggled as a returner. Don't give him that job. You had Jalen Naylor in the building. Didn't even try him. Um, and defended that. I think that Arif, you asked that in the pref in the presser, right? And he said, "Oh yeah, we didn't have enough reps to go around, so we just gave him all to one guy and then cut him." Uh, but Thomas this Hennigan feels like a somehow found a way to get reps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you you. Possibly had a returner in the building, didn't try him, traded for a new returner, and then cut a guy that could have been useful to you from scrimmage, who now plays for a division rival. Feels like you made a couple uh, left turns there, and now you are staring down the barrel of getting directly punished for it. And if that happens, if Amir Smith-Marset catches a big long pass week five against the Bears, uh, or in week 18 and the Vikings need that game, uh, yep, they'll deserve it. All right, I'm going to build off of that one. I'm going to say my party foul goes to both the Jets and the Vikings for the way that they approached roster cuts. Now, we have just discussed how trade-happy Kwesi Dofomensa has been, particularly in acquiring players, but also in trading away Jesse Davis. And he, unfortunately, had more opportunities to trade players that other teams very clearly wanted, did not do it. The Jets had six players claimed off of waivers. The Vikings now, with the addition of Amir Smartset, have had three players claimed off of waivers. That means that teams were willing to accept that contract that they were on and possibly could have traded another sixth or seventh round pick. And if this is a, a, an organization that believes in sixth and seventh round picks, as they so clearly do, then they should have traded Kellen Mond. We, actually, them not trading Kellen Mond is buck wild to me, just waving him. Like I said, there were teams that thought of him as a second round grade, and he was picked up by the Browns, right? Obviously, some team wanted to pick up his contract. Two claims that we know of. Yeah, two claims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 we know that Amir Smith Marset was it was was a player that teams were interested in. We know uh, that Armand Watts is is a player that teams were interested in. And so to not get some value, if you're the kind of team that tries to extract, you know, blood from a stone, try to get as much small amounts of it, like. You're tra- you traded Jesse Davis for a 2024 seventh round or 2025 
seventh round pick. If that matters to you, then you absolutely can get something for Kellen Mond. That is wild to me. So that's that's my party foul. There's a bunch of not every team that has every player that was on waivers claimed should have traded that player. Maybe it wouldn't have happened. But you know, if you got like three, one of them is a quarterback. If you got like six, you should have made some more moves. So the Mond revenge game is not till twenty twenty five. Got a ways until yeah. That when one. he takes over for well, who's we have no there? idea oh, what team he's going to be playing. Deshaun Watson. <laughs> we don't got to talk about that quarterback. Oh yeah, one Jacoby oh. Brissett injury away from Kellen Mond snaps in Cleveland. Goodness. Locked on oh. Sports Minnesota gives you endless Vikings talk with local experts. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, get the videos, uh, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's free. It's available. Please. Check us out. It's Ron Johnson Show, Superior Sports Talk, Minnesota Football Party, and our Instant Reaction postcasts. Luke Braun and I teaming up for that after Vikings games. Uh, for Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings, Reeve Hassan of The Athletic, Ron Johnson of The Ron Johnson Show, I'm Sam Ekstrom, also of The Ron Johnson Show, and Lockdown Sports Minnesota at large. Uh, this has been the Minnesota Football Party. Director Matt DeBritz, thanks for watching. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.